0: Sometimes you have to see things before you can see things. What I mean by that is sometimes in order to understand things, you need to see it in your mind or you need to see it literally in order to understand it. The passage of Scripture we're going to look at today from Luke chapter 7 is one of those kinds of events. When Jesus was invited to the home of a Pharisee, That's amazing, isn't it? His name was Simon, and while they were eating, a woman crashed the party and came and began to anoint the feet of Jesus to weep over him and to wipe his feet with her hair. It was a picture of need, of gratitude, and of faith. And we're going to see that picture in our minds today from Luke chapter 7, verse 36. I love the wonderful words of Jesus and to read about who he was and what he did and what he continues to do. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Simon said, tell me, teacher, So Jesus said two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii. That would be about a year and a half labor for an ordinary person in that day. So one owed him 500 denarii, the other 50 about a month and a half wages. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both of them. Jesus asked, now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said, to Simon, you get it in your mind? He turns toward the woman, but he's talking to Simon. Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not, not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as you can tell by her great love. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to the woman, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. We all love pictures. Uh, sometimes you ought to just look it up in your phone to see how much you do love pictures. And we love what we say about pictures. A picture is greater than a thousand words. And sometimes we talk about pictures that are in our mind and things that we see that that have horrible things that have happened and we say we say I can't unsee that sometimes we see things in our minds that are wonderful and what a blessing it is that we can't unsee that either well, we don't have a picture of this, but the Word of God is so vivid, so meaningful, so true to life that you and I look at this, and in our minds, we can see everything that was that is happening. We can see Simon, the Pharisee, with this condescending attitude. We can see the woman in her intense need. We can see Jesus. Maybe part of which you can't see is what a was what a a dinner party was like in that day. Now if you went to a formal dinner party, that's what this was, you would be invited and you would recline around the table. The table would be off the ground a little bit and and the guest would recline if it were a normal meal, they would eat like you and I do, not in front of the TV or looking at our phones, but around the table, a normal way of eating. But a formal dinner party, they would recline on the t- at the table, I suppose everybody on their left elbow eating with their right hand, with their feet out behind them. And even in a formal dinner party... Anybody could show up. Now, they weren't guests. They weren't going to eat. They weren't expected to participate in the conversation, but just anybody could show up. So here is a woman who showed up. Most likely, she was not the only one there. Most likely, there were a lot of people there who were kind of observing everything that is going on. But within this, there is the picture in our minds of three things. Maybe more, but three for me. The first is the picture of intense need. Now, we all have needs and we're all needy people. I'm always amazed every time I will talk about things that happen, bad things that happen in people's lives, you all get very still and very quiet. And my only way of judging is that in every life, it's as if I'm speaking directly to you or about you because of the struggles that go on in our lives. All of us have need with relationships. All of us have needs in families. All of us have needs about temptation and sin and about the future and about anxiety and hope and all of the other things that we deal with. We all have needs. We all have needy lives. And this woman is the picture of that. Look at the way the Pharisee describes her. Look at the way that Luke describes her. She was a woman of the city. She was a sinful woman. And the Pharisee describes her that way. If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him and apparently wouldn't let her touch him if he knew what was happening. So she is a person of intense needs and all that she does shows those needs. So she weeps. In my mind, she is on her knees and she is weeping and her tears fall on the feet of Jesus. And then she wipes his feet with her tears. Here, here's something you have to see from this passage of scripture. A normal, hospitable household. When you entered into the household wearing sandals, the, the servant would wash your feet and wipe your feet. And the master of the house would give you a kiss. That's that's why we in the Western world read Paul said, greet one another with a holy kiss Most of the world that's kind or that maybe makes sense, but in most of the Western world it doesn't make sense. Paul said greet one another with a holy kiss, and this is what they would do. What makes it even stranger for us is a man kissing a man, a woman kissing a woman. Jesus said, you didn't greet me with a kiss. In a normal hospitable household, they would take olive oil and pour oil on the head, not a whole lot, but just a little bit, and they would anoint the person with oil. So that's what she has done. All of that makes really good sense in that time of day. And she is doing that out of gratitude and devotion to God, out of a needy heart. And the Pharisee is looking on. Now, I've got a question for you, and I know the answer for me. I know the way I answer this. In this picture, who has the greatest need? And who are we seeing? We're seeing Jesus. We're seeing Simon, the Pharisee, which was an extremely common name. And we are seeing the needy woman who is not named. And so the question is, who has the greatest need? And I think without any question in my mind, it's not the woman. It's Simon. You can almost see Simon. Here is Jesus reclining. I, I have no idea. that uh, Even though we know a lot about that, I've never asked the question, where would the host of the house be during this time? Is he reclining? I assume so. But let me tell you what he's doing. Let me tell you what Simon is doing in his mind. In his mind, he is standing up. And in his mind, he is judging the woman. And in his mind, he is judging Jesus. Because Simon has everything in life figured out. He doesn't need a thing. Remember when Jesus talked about the rich man And at the conclusion, he says to his disciples how difficult it is for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And why is that the case? Well, the case is because the rich man says... I've got everything I need. You've got friends like that. You tell them about knowing the Lord. You tell them about peace and joy and and love, and you tell them about how God has blessed you, and they say, I've got everything I need. I don't have any needs. And as long as you have that attitude There is no way that the gospel can penetrate your life because you're not open to him, not ready to hear from him. Because I have everything that I need. I have everything that I want. Therefore, how difficult it is for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Then Jesus gave a picture it is more difficult for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. For a long time, there were people who had been to Israel, like we're talking about a hundred years ago. And they would come back and they would say, There's this little doorway leading into one of the churches there. And they called that the eye of the needle. And the only way the camel can get through is to get on its knees and go through. Well, I mean, that sounds good, but probably didn't have any sense to it at all. Here's what I think. It is easier for a camel, and it would be way bigger than I am to go through the eye of a needle, a real needle, just like you use, than it is for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. And the disciples recognized it. Then who shall be saved? Well, the only way is by the grace and the goodness of God and about Jesus becoming the once and for all sacrifice for our sin. This passage of Scripture shows us a picture that we all live in hurt and pain and everybody struggles in life. The Bible says that we all live in conflict with God, that we were born in conflict with God, warring with God. But God did something to bring about peace, to bring reconciliation to bring us close to God. God sent his son to become the once and for all sacrifice for our sin, that we might trust him, that we might surrender our lives to him, that we might give ourselves unto God to know him. So it is a picture of intense need that God has a desire for us to know him. But there's a second picture here, and it is a picture of amazing gratitude because the woman, Jesus describes what has happened. Simon, let me tell you something. This woman has done things that you didn't do. I came into your home. You didn't wash my feet. She washed my feet with her tears and wiped it with her hair. If you just think about that as a moment. I have one wife and I have two daughters. And I know the scripture. And the scripture says, a woman's hair is her glory. So I do not think you should take it as little and insignificant that she takes her own hair and wipes his feet with her hair. Jesus said... You didn't kiss me when I came in, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since I entered the room. You didn't give me oil for my head, but she has poured perfume not on my head, which might be a symbol of pride, something, but on my feet, which is certainly a symbol of humility on the part of the woman. So Jesus asked the question, Simon, which one in that story about the moneylender, which one loves most? And he gets it right. He gets the story. All of Jesus' stories had had a meaning to them, and for the most part, they were clear to see. And he said, I suppose the one who was forgiven the most... And Jesus says, and this woman has been forgiven. And do you know what he says? He says, what she is doing shows that she has been forgiven much. Now, I look at this woman, and maybe you kind of see this too. I look at this and smile. Man, her thankfulness is over the top. Her thankfulness goes way overboard. If we think that greeting one another with a holy kiss seems a little bit foreign to us, being this open and this effusive in offering gratitude, this is really over the top. Because what would we have done? We would have gone, what would I have done? I can't speak for you, what would I have done? I'd probably come up to Jesus, probably take his one hand and by both hands and shake it a little bit and look him in the eye and say, thank you so much. And so you look at her and it seems like she is overdoing it. But I read a theologian who said, real gratitude is not gratitude in moderation. Real gratitude, this is a picture of real gratitude. And look at the church of the living God. Look at the family of God that we are and that churches around the world are. We live our lives not in effusive gratitude, but we live our lives in moderation. We do our giving in moderation. We attend church in moderation. We decide when we'll go and when we won't go, and whether it matters or whether it doesn't matter. We we do our Bible study, our Bible reading, our memorization, our our, our meditation in moderation. We live our faith in Christ in moderation. What a much more meaningful picture if we lived our lives with this kind of gratitude for God, giving ourselves in devotion to him because of what he has done, because what he has given to us, because we have so much to be thankful for and to to have gratitude about. And most of it, although you and I, we live in a place... Where our poor are the world's wealthy. But that shouldn't be our first reason for thankfulness. There should be many others that go far beyond that because of what God has done for us in Christ. There's a third picture here. It's a picture of saving faith. So here's what Jesus says. Jesus, after he talks with Simon, Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Now you already get the idea that that has happened beforehand. We don't know. All we know that Jesus said, therefore I tell you, her Her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. So that gives you the indication that she has known Jesus before. She has been forgiven. She has come into his presence. We don't know that. None of that detail is given, but it sounds that way. But then he says to the woman directly, your sins are forgiven. And the other guest around the table, are talking to each other and the very way they're put together around that, think of Jesus at the Last Supper, the bosom, John being in the bosom of Jesus, reclining right there next to him, there is the possibility of quiet conversation and they're saying, who is this who even forgives sins? But listen to this. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And there is the picture of God's giving us salvation and then telling us of the peace and the love and the joy that we find in him and the hope and the and the blessings that are new every morning that we find in God that's what he is saying your faith remember hebrews 11:6 without faith it is impossible to please god your faith has saved you go in peace go apart from the judgment of simon and others and follow after the things of god I almost preached this this day from Luke 17, but I love Luke chapter 7. But Luke 17 is the, the event in the life of Jesus when he is walking with his disciples. He is on the border between Samaria and Judea. Not that there was a real border. There was just a place where most Judeans lived on this side and most Samaritans lived on that side. So he is walking on the border, and there are 10 lepers who call out to him from a long distance. And remember, leprosy was an ancient disease, uh, basically eradicated, basically eradicated, certainly in America. It was a skin disease. It could be something as minor as an irritable rash or as deadly as something that would eventually take your life. And so they, they tried to deal with it. And the, way they, the only way they knew to deal with it was quarantine people. If you have leprosy, you can't go to the temple, can't go to the synagogue, can't be in a city, got to live outside the city. Nobody's going to have you around them. You have to be quarantined. So here were 10 people, and best we know, Nine Jews, one Samaritan. We don't know that for sure, but that's the way the story seems to be told. Nine Jews, one Samaritan. They cry out to Jesus for mercy, and Jesus tells them, go to the priest and show yourselves as evidence and you will be healed. Now, here's the part I want you to see. All 10 of them, at this point, trusted Jesus for healing. That's what they asked him to do. And all of them trusted him for healing. And all of them went to show themselves to the priest because in the Old Testament, if, if you had leprosy, you are you put out of all kinds of society. And so the only way you get back in is if the priest said, yep, he's, he's cleared, he's healed, he can come in. And so that's what Jesus was saying. I'm ready for you to re-enter society. This is real healing. You're going to be healed and you get there. What we all would love to see is have a picture. We don't even have this in words. We'd love to have a picture of where it was along the way that they realized that they were healed. And everybody assumed somebody looked at their hands. Somebody looked at the other guy's face. Somebody started jumping up and down. Somebody started rejoicing. And they realize they're healed and one comes back to give thanks. At my house, I mean, I think you do this, everybody does this. Let's don't be the, let's don't be the nine. Let's don't be the nine, let's be the one. And there was one who came back to give thanks and he was a Samaritan. It's as if Jesus was, in a sense, forecasting that the Jews were going to reject him, but that the outcast and the Gentiles were going to receive him openly and wonderfully. And so the Samaritan came back, and, and here's what Jesus said. It's what everybody's thinking. Were there not... Ten cleansed, and all of those were cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then Jesus says, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, I want to say something with great confidence. There's not a person here today who wouldn't like to be healed of something. Right? Not a person here. My guess is even those of you who are not yet believers, and there are many of you and you're close to becoming believers, even you who are not yet believers, when something bad goes wrong, you pray. I read somewhere that even atheists pray. So there's not a one of us here who doesn't want to be healed. But do you know what? These nine were healed of leprosy, but do you know what happened to them? They died. Now, we don't know when they died, but they died. In Luke chapter 7, over the last two weeks, we saw a centurion coming to Jesus, sending messengers, ask him to come and heal my servant. I am very fond of him. And Jesus, without touching the man, without going there, healed the servant. But eventually, that servant died. The next event in chapter 7 was Jesus going with his disciples to a village called Nain, and he meets a funeral procession. And there, nobody asked Jesus to heal Nobody told him what had happened, but there was a man, the only son of a widow. Meaning the the widow had terrible things; she couldn't work. She had no one to stand up for in that society. It was awful. And Jesus healed the man, touched the ca- the the the. the, the place where the body was being carried and and the man was healed and Jesus took him. And I always want to see this picture. I want to see the eyes of Jesus when he gives the man back to his mother. But that man and his mother and everybody in the procession eventually died. That is not what Jesus means in these words. Rise and go, your faith has saved you. To the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. We get very excited about physical healing Shouldn't we rejoice with excitement and praise and gratitude over spiritual healing that instead of lasting a lifetime on earth, last a lifetime in eternity from the everlasting to everlasting, from the on and on to the on and on. That's the Hebrew word for everlasting for eternity. It's just from the on and on to the other on and on. From end to end, we think there's a closing. There's no closing. It's an everlasting. It's for on and on. And that is what God came to offer to us. And it's what he desires for us, that we might be saved, that no one should perish, but that all should come to the truth, that the nine and the one. Many people think that Luke under the inspiration of God's Spirit gives us the three times when Jesus ate, was invited by a Pharisee to eat with him. Chapter 7, chapter uh, 9, chapter 7, chapter 11, and chapter 14. Not a one of them ended well, by the way. Not a one. You go back and read those, and none of them ended well. But was it God's way of showing that God came for the Pharisee and for the woman? That God desires that no one should perish. It's so wonderful to see about the woman because she had lived a really, really rough life. And maybe in her mind, there's no way that I could be forgiven or be saved. And the picture was that Jesus died for her, but Jesus died for those Pharisees too. And he died for you and me, and he desires that we know him and offer our lives to him and surrender and let him be the Lord and the master of our lives. He calls us to repentance, and He calls us to faith, and we desire that you know the Lord, and we want to rejoice in your knowing the Lord and trusting in Him. And so today I ask you to open your heart to God, ask you to say unto him, God, I want to know you and I want you in my life and I want my life to belong to you. I want to turn from my past and I want to turn to you in faith. So in just a moment, I'm going to pray. And then when I finish my prayer, there will be pastors here at the front to receive you, to help you, to encourage you in your faith in the Lord. Let's stand together, please. And I'm going to pray and then find a counselor and come and pray and let us pray with you and help you along the way. God, we love you. Thank you for giving your son. Thank you for his being, the once and for all sacrifice for all sin. Thank you for the love of God, for the blessings in our lives. God, we pray now that there will be many who open their hearts and lives to you and trust you this day. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Come now as we sing.